The Set the Pace podcast is brought to you by New Balance, the official apparel and footwear of New York Roadrunners and the TCS New York City Marathon. And now that the big day is behind you, it is time to show off your accomplishment, which our partners at New Balance make really easy. You can head to newbalance.com to take a look at the official finishers collection to show off your accomplishment or pick out one of the New Balance shoes from the marathon collection like the super versatile Fresh Foam 1080 version 13 so you can remember your marathon while you're putting in the miles to get to your next finish line with New Balance. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark. The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for Gritterbikes. Look at the emotion of Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line, pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Mev Kapleski. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Set the Pace, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners presented by New Balance. Great to have you with us as we do every single week. I'm Rob Simulcare, the CEO of New York Roadrunners, joined as I am every single week by 2009 New York City Marathon champion Mebka Flesky. We've got a great episode for you today. For those of you in the New York area, you know this is the week of one of the the more fun races of the year, the Ted Corbett 15K taking place this Saturday in Central Park. Today on the show, we've got the son of Ted Corbett. Gary Corbett will join us a little bit later on to talk about the legacy of his father, Ted Corbett. Ted Corbett was the very first president of New York Roadrunners, one of the founding fathers of this organization, and such a great story and a legacy, and we can't wait to talk to Gary about that in just a minute. But Meb, how are you? We're sitting here a few days after Thanksgiving as we tape this episode. How was your turkey day? Hey, Rob, it's great to be with you again. Uh, you know, my tummy is still full, you know, <laughs> I did a lot of exercises and uh, was able to play soccer with the family and hang out a little bit, a lot of family time. And unfortunately for me, I got a little bit injured playing soccer. My my body Uh-oh. goes forward, not sideways anymore, but uh, <laughs> the mind thing, I can still do it. But uh, no, it's just great to be back uh, after a great family events. Well, that's great. I, I, as we were talking about last week, I had a chance to get out and do a little running on Thanksgiving morning. There's a great Thanksgiving morning run here in Fairfield County, Connecticut, uh, in Southport. It's a turkey trot five miler. And I, I had a great day. We had perfect weather and I was able to go out with some friends and see a lot of folks in the community. Ran a, ran a, a nice race. Felt great, by the way. I got to give New Balance some love because the running shoes they gave me, I was I was feeling really good. Ran the five miles in under thirty four minutes, so I'm I'm suddenly feeling speedy, Meb. No, you ran great. I mean, that's that split uh, uh, that I saw was incredible. That's uh, you know whether you know you're training, you're as busy as you are, and having the shoes definitely helps. But to be able to start your day on turkey trot or local runs is just incredible. It just brings up the day. So congratulations on a great run, Rob. Thank you. It was a great event, and uh, we're, we're, we're quiet in New York on Thanksgiving weekend, but we are not quiet this coming weekend as we've got the Ted Corbett 15K coming up uh, in Central Park. And, you know, for folks who don't know about Ted Corbett, the legacy of Ted Corbett, 
it's an incredible legacy. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about how honored I am to be the CEO of New York Roadrunners. I wouldn't be in this position. Uh, I wouldn't have this job if it weren't for Ted Corbett. Um, Ted Corbett uh, is a guy who grew up, was born in South Carolina. He was the, the grandson of, of former slaves and grew up to be the first African-American to run in the Olympics, the marathon distance in 1952, ran in Helsinki. He was the founding president of New York Roadrunners, not just a marathoner, he was an ultra marathoner. Back when this was really a sport that was in its, was in its infancy, he led in that category as well in the 1960s and 70s. The runner's world called him a symbol of durability and longevity, and he's really a big part of the reason I sit where I do today. His son, Gary Corbett, Meb, you've gotten to know him. I've met him as well. He's really dedicated the last 10 years of his life, at least, to preserving the legacy of his father and really kind of retelling the history of New York Roadrunners. In fact, he's done such a great job that there's now an exhibit at the New York Historical Society called Running for Civil Rights, which is actually uh, out now. You can go see it through February 25th, 2024. Does a great job of telling the story of Ted Corbett, Joe Yancey, the New York Pioneers Club, which was a predecessor club to New York Roadrunners. And so we're so thrilled to have Gary Corbett join us here on Set the Pace to talk about the legacy of his father ahead of the, the Ted Corbett 15K this weekend. Gary, great to have you. Good to be here. I appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely. So, you know, Gary, we'll talk about you in a bit, but let's let's just get right to your your father, Ted Corbett. What is the first memory you can think of when you think about, you know, Ted, your dad, who was such an incredibly dedicated runner and leader in this space? When you think of him, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, uh, consistency, hard work, uh, scholarship. He did everything in a scholarly way. Uh, and my first memory of the sport was uh, I was five years old. Uh, and the picture is in the exhibit. Uh, uh, the end of the Yonkers Marathon. It was 1956 Olympic trials. He missed the Olympic team by one place. And, uh, but that was my first memory uh, of, uh, of the sport. Uh, uh, you talked earlier about uh, turkey turkey trots and runs, uh, you know, the Burke Marathon, uh, now the run for the Diamonds, uh, was a unique race that my father always ran in. And uh, so we, we did our turkey on Friday based on that race. Well, Gary, I just want to say thank you on behalf of all the runners who, who, who were the trailblazer and pioneer to do such a great thing, but under, you know, not a... a he didn't get the credits that he deserved to get because as a as an African American to be the first Olympian in 1952 as a fellow Olympian, I just want to say thank you to you to you personally. So you know, in honor of your father. But what was like growing up with him and be able to see the daily how busy he was? He wore many many hats. What was that like for you? Yeah, I look back at it. I, I'm still amazed uh, how much he got done. Uh, particularly the course measurement movement. Uh, uh, he did all his letters in duplicate. So I can, I can trace his life through his letter writing and the evolution of sport through his letter writing. And I had no idea the drama that w went on with the course measurement uh, movement to get it going. Uh, 
his his in 1965 his, his whole committee his standards committee resigned on him because there was infighting between uh, uh, John Sterner and the then president of Rover's Club of America Hugh Jazz Court. I have all this documented in letters, uh, but my father stuck with it. He he saw it, he knew the importance of it, and then uh, others stepped up and and helped, and, and the movement started. But by far, his biggest accomplishment is uh, is in establishing standards across the country for accurate course measurement. This was a big problem uh, in the early years. Uh, the year. In 1954, when he won the National Marathon Championship, first African-American to win a National Marathon Championship, the distance was 26.8 miles. A 10-mile a race could either be 9.5 miles or 10.5 miles. Uh, you can't have a legitimate sport if you can't verify records. And uh, so by far, this is his, his biggest accomplishment. Gary, how did your dad first find running and distance running as a sport? I mean, there were not a lot of people, almost any, who looked like him. You know, when he was growing up in the in the forties and fifties, running these kinds of distances, and it's one of the reasons he was such a breakthrough athlete, making it to the Olympics as a marathoner. Do you know what it was that drove him to to get into distance running in the first place? Yeah, he, he was first a sprinter. He was. Uh... You know, he's in Cincinnati, and uh, so he's near Jesse Owens. Uh, so he followed Jesse Owens and, and Ralph Metcalf. Those were the two individuals that uh, uh, he, he was a big fans of and followed. Uh, he saw newsreels of Tarzan Brown, Native American Tarzan Brown, winning the 1936 and 1939 Boston Marathons. And that, that piqued his interest in the marathon. So seeing Tarzan Brown... Uh, Native American, uh, got piqued his interest. And as an African-American at that time, what were the kinds of obstacles that he would face? I mean, was it the case, because you, you mentioned Jesse Owens, that there had been great black sprinters, right? Um, people like Jesse Owens, but you, you didn't see black men running these kinds of distances. How did that impact him as he tried to become an elite distance runner. Well, he uh, when he graduated from the University of Cincinnati, he uh, he decided not to travel because of the, the tenor of that time uh, during the Jim Crow era. So he did some time trials, and he had a two mile time trial and, and nine oh six, I believe it was, and a three hundred thirty yard time trial, which would have would have translated into like a forty eight second quarter mile, something like that. Uh, so he. He lost the opportunity to race uh, because he just didn't want to face the uh, discrimination and racism that was was out there. Uh, I've got there's there's countless stories of ways that he things that he's faced uh, uh, over the years. Uh, But uh, uh, that's that's one missed opportunity was after college. He got very fit, but didn't didn't have opportunity to race. Were you, how was it then for you to understand that perspective? You know, here is a father who goes run and comes and thinking, hey, I'm, I think I'm ready or, or friends or a sister that he has, but I can't do it. What was the psychological aspect of that for him, you know, to go or not to go and, you know, and maybe have to set another year. It's not even like next week or next month 
you know, when his race is available. Yeah, he he, uh, he just accepted that as a, a safe way to go. As we're talking 1943, uh, 42, 43. Uh, then he went into the service, uh, World War II, and... Uh, 44, somewhere in that range. Uh, so, it, you know, he, he accepted it as part of, part of the, the life of this time, that time, sign of the times. Well, his longevity and durability, you know, is what he's known for. But what was that things that he did? I know a little bit of uh, physiology or uh, therapy was doing with that. How was he influenced by that? Well, you know, his, there, there are times I can make a case that his, his influence, he had a greater impact in the field of re- health and rehabilitation than he did in running. I, I come away 50-50 because of his impact with the course of measurement. But he was uh, a master uh, student, uh, uh, teacher, and healer of uh, physical therapy. And uh, uh, I think he was one of the first holistic physical therapists in the world. Uh, he advocated weight training long before uh, others, and uh, acupuncture. And uh, uh, as I said earlier, he, he applied scholarship to everything he did, and uh, he, was a, he was a lifelong student. Gary, I mentioned the the New York Pioneer Club uh, and the exhibit going on at the New York Historical Society right now. For those who aren't familiar with it, what what was the New York Pioneer Club, and what, what role did it play in your father's development as a runner? Well, the Pioneer Club started in 1936 in Harlem by three black gentlemen, including Joe Yancey, a long-time, long-time coach. Uh, in 1942, it became an integrated team. And it opened it up to all races, creeds, and this is, this is the height of Jim Crow. Uh, and you look at the team pitchers, New York Pioneer Club team pitchers, it's forty uh, percent. Sometimes are, are white athletes. It was a home for Jewish athletes. Uh, Pioneer Club is just the, the, the inclusive culture of the sport that uh, we enjoy today. It started with the started in Harlem. Started with the Pioneer Club and that culture that uh, Roberts Club of America and Browning Ross brought to the table, and then my father and J- John Sterner and co-founding the New York Roadrunners Club. Uh, it all it all emanates from the Pioneer Club, and, and this exhibit is uh, so special because it, uh, this history just has been lost. It's been forgotten. Uh, there's a title of an article, "The Forgotten Heroes of Running," and that's that's what the Pioneer Club is. And the exhibit highlights my father and Joe Yancey, but uh, there are, I've, I've identified 28 history makers. Uh, that made Royal Runners Club of New York Association happen, the wheels of it, and the sport, for the most part, was invented. This modern-day sport that we enjoy today was invented in New York by these leaders of the Royal Runners Club of New York Association. Uh, the exhibit doesn't cover, it just covers a couple of areas. There's a, there's a bigger story there, uh, and it's a story... Uh, Rob, that uh, you know, New York Rovers Club needs to celebrate and uh, just embrace because it's uh, not many. You can't. It's only one place you can say the sport was invented, uh, a modern day sport, and it's, it's it's really out of New York. And I've I've documented this. You know, um, without struggle, there's no progress, as uh, Frederick Douglass said. In that, I know 
that definitely struggled in many areas to break through pioneers. What was that camaraderie look like now to see now as a son of fruits of his labor and others, what the, the camaraderie of runners now inclusive and open to everybody, but his legacy to be remembered as how was that now to compare to early on and to what you see now, you running and others? It's, it's an amazing uh, progression. I, by the age of 10, 1961, I, I knew everybody in the Roadruns Club, New York Association. Uh, the membership hadn't even reached 100 at that point. Uh, and to see even by 1970, it was just two to 300 members. Uh, to see how the sport has grown, uh, it's, just, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, it's, and uh, they, had, they had no idea that it could grow like this. No idea. And uh, it's special because the, 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 the ability, I mean, you know, back then everybody ran fast. Uh, give an example of a, a four-mile race. Uh, the last place finisher was a former president of New York Roadrunners Club, Alan Seinfeld. He was running under seven-minute pace in, in last place. Most of the runners were under six-minute pace. Uh, so it was just it, it's just, it was different. But this, look, we're talking about, uh, I think I think the next next wave is walkers. I think there's, there's a huge opportunity to bring a boom waiting to bring, bring more walkers into the sport. And... Uh, so to see this growth and see people moving and the benefits uh, of running, uh, the father's smiling and others are smiling. See all this progress. Yeah, Gary, I, we talk about walking all the time, actually, at New York Roadrunners, and I, I happen to agree with you. I think that walking is is kind of becoming the next big thing because people just want to participate. And, you know, I, I just wonder when you go back to, to 1958, when your father and others founded what at the time was called the New York Roadrunners Club, what they thought it would become, you know, and 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 to see it now, we're at about seventy thousand members, a marathon with over fifty thousand finishers. That's a global event. People flying from all over the world to run this race, um, you know, and and just what marathoning has become, and even what ultra marathoning has become, which was something that your father was passionate about. I just wonder, do you, did he have any idea that it could ever become this big? And what, what do you think it is that has, that has spurred this incredible growth of the sport and of New York Roadrunners? Well, the, their, main, their main goal was to have more races, create more racing opportunities. Uh, back then, they would have to travel to New England for races. And so that was, that was a big spark in terms of uh, 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 adopting uh, the Roadrunners Club New York Association. Uh, you know, you talk about ultra marathon running. It that's another example of innovation that uh, started in New York for the modern era. There was there was ultra races before 1959, uh, but uh, the modern era started in New York uh, with my father Naldo Scandura putting putting on races. Um, you know, it's it's uh, uh, again they, uh, when Runners World Distance Running News started, Bob Anderson. He, uh, I've got some letters just saying that, that they, the numbers that they expected to, that the readers was uh, nowhere, not even, not even a thousand. Uh, so it just, it just, but see this running, you know, my father would run 20 miles to work. And he said that uh, when he got to work, he felt like a king. 
And uh, you know that when you're fit, uh, the, the, the energy that it brings to you, the good feeling that it brings to you is, is special. Absolutely. I mean, he would run from, he, he lived in the Bronx, right? Like uh, up around Van Cortlandt Park, I believe, in that area. Right. And he worked downtown, like at the, at the lower end of Manhattan, right? So that was his morning commute, throwing on the running shoes and running from basically one end of the city, the top to the bottom of New York City. Uh, that's correct. He would, uh, the, the shortest route uh, would have been 11 and a half miles, would be going south. He went, he went north up into Yonkers and then uh, ran the entire Grand Concourse across the Madison or Third Avenue Bridge down the east side. Uh, 20 miles, that was his signature workout. And uh, when he was training for ultras, he would a lot of times run the distance home or run run, run a, a twice a day. He had a, he had a, he was, he's considered the first runner to have a, a documented streak that started in 1953. And uh, included in that streak is uh, 13 years of running two workouts a day. Nonstop. Didn't miss a day. Didn't miss a day. Wow. And the only, only thing that got only thing that curtailed that was a incident with a dog. Nineteen sixty eight. You know, those incidents with a dog can be, you know, that's the the downside of distance running. I had numerous, numerous encounter of that, including at the Olympic Games in uh, two, uh, uh, ten days before the Olympic Games in Athens, Greece. But tell us about his Total miles, I mean, if it's documented, that's unheard of. You know, some people go 50 miles, 60 miles, but for him to have that and, and you know, and at the time probably nutrition and recovery and carrying water or not was not there, but tell us about that. Well, I'm apologizing, drawing a blank on a gentleman that uh, has added up my father's miles and... Uh, I sent him his diaries. I have his diaries going back from 1947. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, he's come up so far with 170,000. Now, I think this, this includes walking. Uh, I think we don't, don't have it all because he didn't keep as good of records in his walking years. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've, I've with with the documentation I've done, I've I've had a lot of help from people, and that's uh, that's gone that's gone a long way. You know, the other the other I want to bring up one other thing regarding uh, you know we talked about walkers and running walking boom new boom. I think the uh, growing ethnic participation is uh, is waiting to happen also, and. Uh, that's why I want the stories that develop from this exhibit and other stories that develop from uh, research that's done about the sport can inspire uh, all, inspire the sport and grow the sport. I think that's just, just still growth potential uh, to get people uh, participating. Here I am. I was bragging about my 120,000 miles. <laughs> Uh, of my lifetime, and look at your dad, 170,000. But how do you, you know, what would be the thing for African-American or other minorities to be able to participate? Because sometimes, still to this day, you know, if you're not 400 or less than 400 meters, you're a sprinter, you're a sprinter. How do we, what would be the advice that we can give to invite others, you know, it's okay to go 800, it's okay to go 5K, 15K, or a marathon, but how do we get to that mental barrier of, 
not only just African-American, but others to say, you know, it's not for me or I'm just a sprinter. What would that? We've got these stories have to be told. I, I, I'm, a, I'm about ready to, to, to declare that the 1920s is perhaps the greatest decade for black distance running. Um, you had a, a Olympic bronze medalist and Earl Johnson, uh, also cross-country champion, uh, Gus Morg, also cross-country champion, uh, the, the first uh, Boston black runners in Boston Marathon, St. Christopher's Athletic Club surfaced. Uh, there's a lot of documentation that uh, leads to that. People need to know these stories. I've put together a, I put together two panel discussions with black milers, stark black milers from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, the gentleman from the 1970s didn't know the, the, the uh, accomplishments of the runners from the 1950s and 60s. Uh, these, that's, that's, that's first step. We need to get these stories told so they can inspire people uh, to work towards these goals. Uh, I think it's uh, still, uh, there's still a lot of growth area there that, uh, uh, that we as a sport need to uh, focus on to uh, grow the numbers of uh, black and brown people. Meb, we love your book, uh, 26 Marathons, and 26 Marathons is a lot of marathons. But Ted Corbett, the number I, I saw out there, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, 223 marathons that he competed in. He was one of the first five people inducted into the National Distance Running Hall of Fame. So, I mean, the list of accomplishments just goes on and on. And for those of you running the Ted Corbett 15K uh, this coming Saturday, you'll see a lot of those amazing facts about Ted Corbett around the course, uh, New York Roadrunners. You know, we try to really tell his story as folks complete that that course around the loop in Central Park. Gary, to you for a second, and you know, what is it that has driven you? I mean, you you run, but you're you're not a you know professional runner the way your dad was. What what has driven you to want to tell this story, preserve this legacy, and you know go as far as you've done, which is this great accomplishment of getting this exhibit at the New York Historical Society uh, up and running and now open. What's been the thing that's driven you to do all this work? I uh, I saw this sport grow. I saw the people that uh, built this sport work at it. Uh, I would I would go to races even if my father wasn't running in them. I'd be at Van Cortlandt Park or Macomb's Dam Park in the Bronx. Uh, so I was on the scene, and uh, these these names would be forgotten so easily and have been forgotten so easily. Uh, there there were there were six presidents before Fred LeBeau, and a lot of times people they knew knew about my father, but not everybody. Uh, and they knew about Fred, but didn't know about the the people in between. And, uh, and one in particular, Aldo Scandura, was just so instrumental in uh, the governance of the sport. See, once you, you volunteer for committees, AAU and RCA committees, you control uh, how the sport evolves. And that's what, the, that's what these New York leaders did. They, uh, uh, so I saw all this. And uh, so I've always wanted to raise up their names properly so they're not forgotten. One thing I've always wanted to ask you, Gary, we've met a a, a you know, number of times since I've been in this role as CEO of New York Roadrunners. And I'm always mindful of the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm sitting and leading an organization that was 
founded by your father, an African-American. Um, what advice do you think Ted would give me um, if he had a chance to talk to me about leading this organization um, from 2023 on? What do, what do you think his advice would be to me? I mean, his, his, whole, his whole life is, again, about your know, education and learning and uh, uh, and this whole Pioneer Club inclusiveness. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think the things that you're doing, uh, just keep doing them. I mean, you know, you, 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 you've got youth programs, you've got programs for all ages. Um, and uh, uh, always, always be open to uh, new ideals, innovations, because uh, that's that's the way he, he lived. He uh, in his physical therapy practice, he uh, everything was on the table with him in terms of the things he studied, and he he was he he, he was taking classes in his eighties. He was always a, he was a lifelong student, and uh, I'm sure he want 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 this history to be remembered. And, uh, you know, Rowan's Club stepping up to support this exhibit is, 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 is an example of that. Uh, so remembering this history properly, too. That's because uh, uh, there's, still, there's, there's still a lot of things that I've, I'm, I've, I've documented these things and we'll start rolling them out uh, at uh, techcorbett.com and, and through New York Rowan Club channels because uh, this is a tremendous legacy that st- that started in New York, and uh, so they said, "Oh, it should be celebrated and, and documented, and so forth." And just so do, do, keeping that, keeping that, keeping things, uh, you know, just improving on things you're doing. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate that, and really appreciate having you and your time to to talk about your father. Uh, and the history of, of New York Roadrunners, which he was such a big part of. Again, for anybody who's interested, the New York Historical Society exhibit Running for Civil Rights, the New York Pioneer Club, 1936 to 1976, runs through February 25th, 2024. New York Roadrunners members can actually get a $5 discount on admission. Just use the code RR2023 for that. Um, and Gary, it's just been such a, a pleasure having you on. Congratulations on the exhibit, on all the work you've done. I know we're going to see you out there on Saturday uh, at the Ted Corbett 15K. So uh, for those who are running, please feel free to come up, say hello to me, to Gary. We'll both be there and look forward to seeing everybody having a great day. I'm going to lace them up, Gary. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to run. So uh, <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's great to have you here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, time now for today's Meb Minute. And Meb, we were just talking to Gary Corbett about his father, Ted Corbett, who was known for just the mileage that he would put together week in and week out, 20 miles to work and back. But when it comes to mileage, Meb, I wonder how you think about it and what what advice you give people. Of course, when you were running at an elite level, you were putting together 100-mile weeks. But now as a more recreational runner or when you're talking to your daughter or friends, how do you recommend people think about weekly mileage, you know, even if they're not training for a marathon? 
You know, Rob, as long as you lace those shoes up and get out the door, you're going to put some kind of miles. Those are very important miles. How you do it is also important because you don't want to put five mile run and then get injured and then do it again the next day. You got to strategize to just say, hey, I'm going to run two miles today and I'm going to run four miles and two days later. Just consistency is important. And then, you know, 10 miles a week. 20 miles a week, and then it becomes maybe 25 for two, three weeks. So those are important to just be able to, even even if you have to walk, it's okay. You just don't want to feel like, hey, uh, runners have this perception, I'm going to sprint. It's not always a sprint. You have to go out, conversational runs. Those are my important miles. You want to have, you know, when you get together with friends, you want to do intensity miles, uh, maybe like four times 400 meter or five times uh five mile runs, those are great. When you add them up, the rule of thumb is to make a progress slowly because we want you to enjoy it. We want you to have, as Ted, uh, I mean, Gary Corbett was saying, longevity and continuity of your career. We don't want you to come here for one month and hate it. That's not the object. The object is to run, walk, enjoy it, put it uh, safely as many miles as you can, whether that means 20, that's perfect. And then eventually we want to see you do half marathon, which could be scary when you start running. But when you add all your mass up, the confidence is there. And then hopefully one day you will do a, a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. So a good time might be just 26.2 miles. You want to do that a week. That's okay. And then hopefully eventually you will do it in a straight run. Meb, are you like me and you get to your driveway, you, you think your run is over, you look at your watch and it's like 5.87 miles and like you got to run around your driveway or halfway down the block just to get that thing to a six. Like I, I think a lot of runners have this obsession with at least getting to that next big number. Absolutely. I'm that person that kind of have to run out and back to try and like say, okay, I'm going to go two and a half mile back out like I do today now, and then come back two and a half mile, get my five miles running. But if I'm meeting friends or kind of go on a different route, and then I'm the person that, yes, that run around and then around the parking lot or around the block out and back, whether it's even, it can't be like 4.8. Eight, six, it has to be five miles. And, you know, with uh, Tor Corbett, as we talked to today, you know, course measurement was important. I can only imagine how he did that. And, you know, we all have different personality and people want to be able to do those small things, but make some confidence. Hey, I ran five miles, not 4.8. All right. Well, we runners have some things in common. I think a little bit of obsession with distance is definitely one of them. So, all right, Meb, great as always. Thank you so much. Want to thank Gary Corbett. Great conversation about his father, Ted Corbett. Good luck to those of you who are running the Ted Corbett 15K this week, Saturday, this weekend. So can't wait to see you out there. And for everybody out there, enjoy the miles. We'll see you next week on Set the Pace.